Disney Pixar's Turning Red is a very cutesy movie with some very strong themes about changing generational trauma. So let's dive into the movie and talk about what that looks like. Hey guys, I'm McGann, this is the Fangirl, and between Encanto and Turning Red, you may be hearing terms like generational trauma a lot lately. So what is it and how does it apply to these films? Well, hold on, I'll get more into that in a minute, but first let me do a quick recap of Turning Red so that anyone who hasn't seen the movie can follow along. By the way, spoilers. So, Turning Red is a movie about the perfect Canadian family who runs the nation's oldest shrine, which is dedicated to Soon Yi and the Red Pandas. As it turns out, Soon Yi was granted a wish to protect her family, and for some reason, that translated into her transforming into a giant red panda. And for other unexplained reasons, that curse of a blessing got passed down to Soon Yi's descendants. So, enter 13 year old Mei, who with no warning, just turns into a giant red panda one day. Of course, hilarity ensues as Mei's mother Ming believes that Mei just started her special time of the month. And I so appreciate that Pixar handled that comedic bit with a lot of grace because, hey, guess what? Roughly half of the people on the planet are women and most of us bleed for about a quarter of the year. Yeah, it's a little ick, but it's also a very natural and common thing. So can we please stop acting like that's some horrendous thing to talk about? Own it, normalize it, buy products for the women in your life. It's okay. But it soon comes to light that May is actually going into a red pant mode and there's a way to get rid of that by sealing the red panda spirit into a talisman so that May can live a normal human life just like her mother, grandmother, and great aunties have done for centuries. Except May can't keep her secret, well, a secret, for very long. And it turns out that middle schoolers love big floofy red pandas. So May decides that she wants to keep her transformation powers, which causes distress to the rest of her family. And that makes May ultimately have to decide if she's going to be the person her mother expects her to be and who her mother approves of, or if she's going to forge her own path into the unknown. So sitting with all of this and looking at May, her mother Ming, her grandmother, and her grandmother's four sisters, we can tell a lot about this family. First of all, grandmother, who seems to be the oldest of her sisters, rules whatever roost she walks into. She has a commanding presence, there is no arguing with her, and she strives for perfection as we can see with her plucking the stray eyebrow hair. And that also means every Everyone around her had better be perfect too because that's part of her greater image. As another example, when Granny says that four is a bad number, one of her sisters, seeming desperate for approval, just chimes up with a story about refusing to give birth to her own child, all because that baby was about to come out on the fourth. Four is the worst number. You know Vivian was due on the fourth, but I held her in until the fifth. Quiet, Lily. I mean, come on. That's some major psychological control if you can silently coerce someone into stopping labor over something as petty as the date. So no question about it, the grandmother is the HBIC and everyone exists to kiss her ring. 
Now, to relate that to generational trauma, it is important to note that trauma is generally defined as something that was way too much, way too fast, and it essentially ends up warping your brain, sometimes making you believe that something toxic is actually super normal. Now, that can translate to things such as physical violence, which would be like hitting children who step out of line, or it can be emotional abuse. I've been talking about narcissism a lot lately, and love bombing is a form of trauma where you get exposed to so much positivity so quickly that you become addicted to it. Then the narcissist pulls their attention away and your brain lights up like you have a gambling addiction. So you will jump through any hoops to get that praise and affection back. And just imagine being a child and you're only treated as a worthwhile person when you perform correctly. So now, at your very core, you associate those types of performances as the normal way to get love. You have no other examples to fall back on because you grew up relying on your parents' reassurances that the straight A's or the perfect modest outfit were the only ways to achieve affection. So, of course, you're going to grow up and try to form your own children to that same mold because, hey, it feels like it worked out okay for you. And likewise, it can also be acts of violence that get normalized in someone's head, like the old, I'm gonna whip you with a switch mentality. Or even things that might not seem harmful to an outsider, like different stress factors. For example, if you had a parent that grew up poor, they might fixate on pinching pennies a lot more than they need to, or they might hoard and save everything because as a child, they themselves couldn't get the things that they needed. So then their own kids grow up up overly fixated on money or keeping everything or whatever. So there's a lot of ways that this could go, but that is generational trauma explained in a very rough nutshell. So thinking about the grandmother and turning red, we then have to look at May's mother Ming and how she's been impacted. And we get a really interesting moment in the movie where May finds her mother as a teenager and she's crying about having let everyone down. That huge weight of carrying the family's honor and doing everything perfectly has fallen on Ming's shoulders and it's a lot of pressure for a kid. But Ming cannot let her mother down. And when Ming does fail to perform as desired, her mother seems to have moved to a different country and cut off most contact. So it seems like it was a very, fine, you don't want to do what I say, then I'm done with you style of relationship that Ming and her mother had, which is going to be very hurtful to you no matter what age you are. We never stop wanting our parents. However, having lived through that, Ming doesn't know any other way to raise her daughter. And in many regards, Ming certainly seems more relaxed than her mother may have been. Ming seems to believe that she and Mei are a best friend team. But just under the surface, there's still that very controlling smother element to their relationship. So if May doesn't walk a straight line, her mother lashes out. And not necessarily at May, but at other people, like her best friends or Devin from the convenience store. So May has been behaviorally conditioned that if Mommy Dearest isn't happy, her crazy is going to splatter onto everyone else, and that, in turn, isolates May. So if May doesn't behave correctly, her world gets smaller and smaller. And this is just a guess, but I imagine Ming 
acts that way because her mother would rage splatter onto Ming directly. And that would be why their relationship went sour. So Ming has taken this thing that she doesn't like in her own relationship with her mother and she has altered things to try and keep her own daughter closer, but it's in an unhealthy way. It is a very interesting character case study. So then we get to Mei, who is kind of at the bottom of this hierarchy totem pole, and all of her elders have already decided what's best for her. But Mei wants to explore other options. However, even the hint of that kind of rebellion not only upsets her mom, but it upsets Mei's grandmother, which means Mama had better step two and get Mei back in line before Granny rage splatters all over both of them. So getting more upset with Mei in this situation is actually Ming being both defensive of herself and protective of Mei. And it's all done so that Granny doesn't flip out and emotionally abuse them both. Really, it is such a good dynamic here. I wish Brave had been as emotionally intelligent. And I will say, I think Pixar did a very good job of not making Ming into a narcissist. She has some narcissistic tendencies, but so does every human being alive. And sure, Mei was protective. She was overbearing. She had her mind made up that she already knew best. But she also seems to let go in a much more realistic and healthy way. Ming acknowledges her love and fears. And even after accepting changes, she still has some qualms about it. As May had to say, my panda, my choice. My panda, my choice, mom. But the thing is, May was allowed to push back. A true narcissist would never let boundaries like that happen. A narcissistic parent sees their child as an extension of themselves and that's it. So that kid cannot be an individual ever. However, I think Ming came from a place of insecurity due to her generational trauma, and so she responded with the same tools she had been given to get rid of the red panda because it was a problem. At the end of the day, though, Ming cared about her daughter's feelings more than propriety or tradition. It took time, but she got there, and Ming wanted to understand instead of huff off when she didn't get her way. And that's an important distinction. To the contrary, Abuela in Encanto has a two-minute flashback and suddenly she's a whole different person. And that's not how any of that works. An epiphany doesn't stop narcissistic behaviors. It takes a lot of work. So Ming may have acted self-centered or even from a place of trauma in many scenes, but she does not strike me as a full-on narcissist. But I hope you've enjoyed this look into how generational trauma can work and how beautifully Pixar handled it in this movie. And let me know your favorite scene of turning red in the comments. I love the part where May is brushing both of her cheeks at the same time trying to calm down. It's so cute. I might be overthinking it, but that's literally my job. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self. And I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the about tab on my channel page and my most current PO box info will be right there. I also run another channel, the family. It's 
really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos, like you, helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video, we should recommend it to other people. So, if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya! See ya next time, family members! Bye!